0: What's going on, world? It's your boy Trey, Retro underscore GT. Welcome Friday afternoon. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Um, it's your local neighborhood therapist and social worker, Trey, Retro underscore GT. Back for another episode of the g Taylor Show. Make sure you like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what you think. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, all your digital streaming platforms. And if I'm not on there, please let me know. Hope that your week has been well and everything is going smooth. I know my week has been a little bit terrible because my Lakers got swept, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, so <laughs> um hope that y'all like the new episode we just dropped last week with my boy hip hop social work Chris Scott. We talked chopped it up about the John morant situation, talked about his Portland Trailblazers and his number three pick that he got. I don't know what they're gonna do with that. But um and some other things about mental wellness and things like that. But this week I have one of my good friends on here from Twitter that we finally met in the virtual space. And you know how um there's people that you meet, and let you just say virtually, right, because it's been the pandemic, post-pandemic type thing, but you instantly just click with. I love those opportunities, and this guy is just one of those guys where I just ended up following on Twitter, seeing him tweet a couple of times, and then we just instantly click. Now, I'll let y'all know, he is a Baltimore Ravens fan, so That's we'll right. have some conversations about that in a nutshell but uh i want y'all to welcome wes wade to the podcast man what's going on wes how you feel man
1: what's good brother look man it's friday i'm down here in north carolina where i stay the sun is shining i i I might get some fried fish we doing good
0: man oh yeah some fried fish brother i had some earlier this week (laughs) hey you know what got the hot sauce ready too Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes sir wes man um if the people don't know and who they need to know about you. You do a lot of different things. You got a lot of different hats. You're a therapist, private practice owner, consultant, um, PhD candidate, um bunch of different things. Tell the people who you are, what you're about, what you do, and a little bit about yourself.
1: Right, I appreciate that. I feel like both you and I, and there's other folks. We like the Steve Harvey of, of of mental health, man. We just do everything. <laughs> That's
0: the first time I heard that.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. So, like, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a so I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor. Mm-hmm. I'm a licensed clinical addiction specialist, certified clinical mental health counselor, national certified counselor. I have a Master's degree from North Carolina Central University, HBCU right here in Durham and Clinical Mental Health, and a second one, second master's in career counseling. So I I did a lot of career counseling at NC State University for like around eight years and developed some programs over there of neurodiversity that got some recognition and really helped a lot of students get jobs and just have a have a place, right? Yeah. yeah. In addition to that, I'm a PhD candidate right now, man. I got writing my dissertation. Uh, which is on black adults who are neurodivergent and how their world of work over or uh, correlates with their mental health and experiences of racism and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, right now, I do a lot of consulting. I have a private practice, like you said, nice. called Forward Counseling and Consulting. Probably do about 80 percent consulting, about 20 percent counseling at this point in time. Okay. Uh-huh. Um honestly, to be real with you, cause the consulting pays better. And, yeah. um, I love the counseling work. I, I want to do a lot more of it, but it just doesn't pay the way that we need it to pay. Like yeah. I, I'm yeah. not in this to get rich, but I still like to have things, you know, you know what I'm saying?
0: Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so how did you get into, so how, so did you, you started out mostly, um, college based career counseling, switched to prior practice, but then more so consulting. Um, as somebody that's continuing to try to get their foot in consulting more so, I guess, maybe more so than therapy, um, how did you jump into the consulting space and get into that?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I just forced my way <laughs> in there, <laughs> like, night style, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> and honestly, man, it's, it's kind of like things just happened. It, it wasn't right. even a lot of of what was, what I was doing. And I'm I'm a little all over the place and things too, man. So Mm -hmm. I had originally started out with a corporate career. I was doing like business to business sales, client relationship management. Mm -hmm. I did that for like 10 years, man. And you gain a lot of skills in terms of developing business, closing deals, you know, how to work with different people. You know, what was wild was the trainings that we used to have and like those sales environments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were therapy techniques like we learned transactional analysis but they didn't call it that like the Sandler school of I don't know sales bull crap whatever it's called man they were that's what they were doing I don't I mean I hope that they trademarked it or something or like got the rights because they just rebranded it and everything when I got my master's program like I did this whole transition Mm -hmm. I recognized this I was like oh all this stuff is the same these skills are the same I'm just doing this for the benefit of people's mental health Right. So I actually started my private practice immediately after I finished my master's degree. I just kept it on the side. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm trying to keep my language polite here, but I used to call it like my forget you job. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, if my job got too tight, yeah, I'd be like, forget you. I'm out. I got my own thing to do. Right. right. So I was doing mental health work on the side. Um, maybe like two or three times a week for yeah. years to varying degrees, man. I did it on my own. I did have a brick and mortar. We were talking about that earlier. I had a yeah. brick and mortar location for like, uh, a little less than a year when I first started. It was too much. I got in over my head. Dude was a nice guy. Let me get out. Right. Did some in-home work with some people. I was doing some integrated health work with a physician's assistant with her clients who had like severe opioid use disorders and some other areas along those lines and right. but I was still at NC State full time job in it right gotcha. and then I got in a PhD program while I was there too and I was like alright and and we have a kid the wife got a yeah, kid yeah, yeah. It would be seven in August and we're talking about another one she's like look I know you like to do a lot of stuff you need it but this is too much and I was like you're right I got a like, family first I got to right. I'm trying to I work on that I'm not the best at that right but I right. really try to make sure I'm giving my family my best right and right. then um uh, you know what, brother, let me stop right there because I forgot your question. <laughs> I'm, about to just keep, I'm about to just start rambling and no. tell my life story over here, man. No, so, you're
0: good. Um, I was just saying how you got started in the consultancy, but it kind of just summed it up a lot as far as like where it sounds like where you already had that background, that experience, that networking, those connections, you got the mental health degree, you took that and you just kind of just leaned into it and you say, you said you had a family, and like you said, like with the brick and mortar, with the um, office space, same thing for me, man. Like I had my second child was incoming. My son, he just turned one, like last oh, week. Man. And, oh man! congrats,
1: um, Oh, you were in it
0: right now? Yeah, and um, but I was full time self employed with the six, my six year old, and then had my son on the way, and I was like, okay. All right, we're trying to do both: take care of the house bills, the business bills, expand maybe. But I had to take a break somehow, and so I had to let go of my office space. We were talking about that earlier, and mm-hmm. couldn't get nobody in there because nobody was. Everybody stayed virtual. Um right. And so, um, so yes, yeah, so I definitely understand that, and that's how kind of where I pivot that to my myself today. But still, kind of. All right, what's next? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's it's, right. it's still ongoing. So yes, yeah, so that's right. that's what it is.
1: I love that part that like, okay, what's next part? Cause like for our field, there's so many options. Like you can be a straight counselor if you want, but there's consulting, right. there's coaching, there's you can develop your own uh, programs for a nonprofit or your own nonprofit. You can do workshops, you can do keynotes. Like there's so many options and I'm ADHD, I'm dyslexic. This is a big area that I work in. And so I really have to have a balance of a lot of things, but not too much and right. not too little. If I have too little, it's as bad as for me as having too much. I gotta have a good number of things. So, so, yeah, so the consulting piece. Um, when I was at NC State, I had started this program along with a friend of mine called Students Moving Forward. It was for students on the autism spectrum at NC State, mm-hmm. and I use identity first language a lot. So you'll hear me say like autistic. I am ADHD, but I'll switch back and forth to like neutral language because yeah. people use everything, man. Right. So. Um, so I'm working with those students and we ran this thing for five years, man. I've presented at the Stanford neurodiversity summit to talk about my stuff. I've, I've presented, um, across the country and in North Carolina a few times, like 12 different times about the program and the work that I was doing Mm -hmm. over there. And that's why I'm in my PhD programs, what my research is around. Right. And while we were doing that program. Um, I was the one running that program. I was the one leading it and growing it. I also got on a planning committee for this thing called Linkit, which mm-hmm. is like kind of out of the governor's office here in North Carolina. It's a paid internship program for any college student. It doesn't matter if you're a community college, private college, four year public university, it don't matter if you graduated five years ago. Mm-hmm. You can get into this paid internship program and get a degree related paid internship. If you're on the autism spectrum in North Carolina, and that program still exists. And I helped okay. to develop that program. Okay. One of the issues is recruiting. And so I started and I ran this for three years, which was the North Carolina Autistic Career Summit. Mm-hmm. And so I had employers like IBM, SAS, Credit Suisse, GSK, uh, Bank of America. I mean, like a lot of big ones. And yeah. so we'd have about 14 employers. We had neurodivergent speakers, we mm-hmm. uh, people who weren't just in STEM, people who weren't just white men we had eric garcia who's a hispanic man who uh went to unc right down here he's a journalist he was a keynote we had judy singer who's the australian woman who coined the term neurodiversity and first wrote about it in depth we had a bunch of dope stuff man and so i got recognition through that and some of the i really should have way more writing but doing all that i didn't have time to write as much yeah so i got some recognition from that and i would say 90 Five percent of my consulting work has come out of that people knew me from that uh-huh. Uh-huh. and they knew i was licensed yeah. and then they reached out because i yeah. i have zero advertising that i do so right now everything i do is <laughs> that's, and that's going to change i'm just yeah, yeah, you know yeah. got some other things going but yeah that's right. so that's 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 about as concise as i can get with that one brother wow
0: wow yeah but that's what i'm saying like i was i was reading your your website and i was looking at all the accolades and these these type of programs i was like yo Wes is deep out here. But again, like, you know, (laughs) when you're doing the work and you're in it, right? Like sometimes that market, that marketing piece kind of goes away because I'm I'm doing it. I'm in it. But it also leads to those connections that you talk about from a consulting standpoint. And you're right. That's where, like, you kind of have to, as a clinician, like, trying to figure out, okay, what's my lane? Do I want to do therapy full time or do I want to do consulting full time? I've had history with building these programs, but how can I, you know, make this profitable for me as well? Um and keep a smaller case though, so that no right. that definitely answers the question um <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> definitely all right, all right. very easily on that and we want to i want to come back to kind of some of that conversation around neurodiversity because i think it's a very important conversation and a topic and i know it's very important for us as, as black as black the black community but also as black mm. men as well because black boys because some of it Leads us down different paths or school systems, structure, systemic issues that, that show up. And for me, when I thought about bringing you on, I know we wanted to talk about we get into some fun stuff beforehand. <laughs> but um, I wanted when I was thinking about it, I, was like, I want to define this right for us yeah. as black men and black boys, because I think sometimes when we hear it, we get scared from it and get a stigma behind mm-hmm. it. But then also we run away from or shy away from it. You know what I'm saying? And I want, you know, to help, you know, define it for us so that we know what's going on and people can pick up on it more. Um, so we'll definitely do that later on with that. But I want to get to real quickly some sports conversation because you said you're Baltimore native. So I get that. So. I, I,
1: I am. I'm born. Well, born and mostly raised in Maryland. We lived in Baltimore at one point in time. I was born in D.C., My family, both sides of my family, is as far back as we can trace. And we can go back multiple generations. I know a lot of my family history. We're Maryland through and through, man. So uh, as soon as as Baltimore got a team back, like half my family is Redskins fans, man. And as soon as Baltimore got a team back, because my pops grew up a Baltimore Colts fan, right? As soon as they got the team back, 100% on board, all of us. No hesitation.
0: Okay. So now do you follow DC Sports? Like, do you follow basketball
1: at all? A little bit, man. I okay. Look, all right. Now you gonna you gonna all right. This might be blasphemous, right? But <laughs> I I have not followed sports that much over the past four years, man. And mm-hmm. I and it's that hasn't always been the case. Um, as you know, young kids, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? Young right, right. kids, busy job out here getting in a PhD program, which, you know, I guess was a good idea. right? And so all of that stuff. And then honestly, to be real with you, when the Kaepernick stuff started popping off, man, gotcha. I just, I was getting just angry, man, that rage, which honestly, all of this, like that, that anger that we justly rightly have as black mm-hmm. folks. Right. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, like ADHD neurodivergences, it, Neurodivergencies, it hypes up that anger, man. It kicks it up because there's like rejection sensitivity. We tend to be a little bit more emotional. Uh And um, man, so like race, racist stuff, man, it it just I've had a lot of racist experiences in my life. When I see people experiencing racist experiences, I'm like, let's go, man. What do you need me to do for you? I'm here for you. So when I saw Cap go through that, it did something to me. Mm -hmm. The CTE stuff did something to me. Mm -hmm. I got a few close homeboys that played in the NFL. And so and I played high school ball with and pretended like I was going to play college ball. And I was like, nah, I'm doing this. Um, and so like, it, 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 backed me off. And then like the pandemic stuff and I felt like people were forcing things too much, man. I just,
2: mm-hmm. it
1: was just enough. It was a perfect storm that I backed off. I'm always going to be a Baltimore birds, man. The Orioles, yeah. I grew up watching the Orioles, man. I, an old Memorial stadium and then Camden yards, you know, and then, you know, the, uh, I played linebacker in high school, man. So Ray Lewis is my all-time favorite player. Like gotcha. I love Ray Lewis. Uh Ed Reed's probably number two. Shannon Sharp's probably number three. Right. right so right. those that that that's my squad, man. Like I love it, but I, I I'll be real with you, man. I I, I don't don't know who is on teams anymore. <laughs> I just like talking trash to you about your cowboys on Twitter is my I uncle's know are cowboys.
0: I, I know, I don't know why so much, but you know, I, I, anytime you see the stars come up, you must have to, you have to have no choice but to speak on it. But that's this another is story for You live in Virginia, brother. You live in Virginia. <laughs> like, what's going on, man? <laughs> so listen, I tell this story all the time. And, and, and my homeboy Chris who was on here last week. We always go back and forth because he's from Portland. Right. Okay. And he's a Portland Trailblazer fan, but he's a Kansas City Chief fan. And, okay. And I said, well, so he says, well, because I'm part of DMV, I'm part of Virginia, even though they don't categorize Central Virginia with the DMV, right. I, that, it kind of goes back and forth. I am not a Washington fan. Mm-hmm. I grew up a Dallas fan. And so yeah. as a result of that, that was from my grandfathers. All three of my grandfathers were Dallas Cowboy fans. What happens? Makes me a Dallas Cowboy fan. Now my dad, Pittsburgh fan. Pittsburgh. Steelers oh
1: fan. man, we got to end this podcast right <laughs> now, brother. <laughs> Are you Pittsburgh
0: Cowboys, Steelers? Man. Why am I here, man? What's going I, on? I don't know. I don't know hey, hey! I don't even know how he got to Pittsburgh. Per- first of all, anyway. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so that's how I became a Dallas fan. And so when we had that conversation, I he was like, "Well, you should be a Washington fan." I'm like, "But you should be a Seattle fan," and that's the whole
2: beef <laughs> between. <Got> and- <laughs>
0: got him <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying he's uh, nah, i can't you I, i'm the only one who can do that i was okay no nah, no so that's how i became a dallas fan now basketball is different because i follow mostly players now since right. i traded my homeboy ai uh from philly and uh oh, big man. big Come lebron on. fan of course but i like, love ai man i love that's, ai that's my guy man i was just
1: he was just game. himself man he just yeah. he wasn't anyone but himself and I love that for us. Like, when we get to be that, it's something special, man. It really is. This world will try to rob us of the identity that black people have forged for ourselves. Because if we are descended from enslaved Africans, we had to make this for ourselves. People don't get that, man. We didn't have a culture. We had to make a culture. We defined united states culture there's nothing more american than black people man and so Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. this this
1: this system will try to rip that from us man so i I love i love it when i see black folks period but you know i'm a black man so especially when i get to see black men out here just being their self and that's that's what i have subscribed to be for the rest of my life (laughs) which is why i'm about to do more advertising for my for my practice
0: (laughs) yeah no absolutely i think that's because you know i think and you talk about like the situation with um, John Moran and then like other athletes to coming into the those professional things I, like one of my biggest things was like you know you know how much weight that you put on these young black kids going to these professional yeah. spaces let alone the collegiate spaces right um right. to be this upstanding citizen when they're still figuring the world out just as much as we are in our 20s 30s and 40s you know what I'm saying right. so why do we hold them to a higher pedestal just because they got to these high ranks thinking that they should be, you know, do everything correctly when mm-hmm. half of us not doing things correctly in our big adult age? You know what I'm saying? And so um, I hear you on that because that's something that bothers me about that situation at times with our athletes, especially our student athletes and stuff like that.
1: Right yeah it feels a lot to me like all right we're we're giving y'all all all this money so you better act right because y'all don't deserve this you know Mm -hmm. so you you better make sure you keep everyone comfortable and i'm like you're getting this money off the backs of our talent and um Mm -hmm. you know what if we want to sign a ball in the end zone man then who cares you know (laughs) we're we're
0: doing this for fun it's a game man it's a game exactly exactly And that whole notion of professionalism and what that means. And it's, it's, it's one of the things where like people like ask me, like, okay, well my locks, like one of the reasons I keep my locks, I've been locked up for like, not locked, I had locks for 16, I locked up, I locked
2: up. Yeah,
1: yeah. which, hey man, hey, you know, I I got plenty of homeboys locked up and who have been and that's, no insult to that, but yeah, you got to specify the difference Got to specify (laughs) (laughs) the
2: difference,
0: But I had my hair locked for about 16 years and one of the reasons- that I kept kept it locked. I've had that urge to cut it so many times, but one of the reasons was because that's one of my my acts of resistance, right? Like yeah. I was told in high school that I wouldn't be successful with long hair. You know what I'm saying? And so as a result of that, I'm like, well, I'm gonna keep going, grinding, putting up in these spaces, and I'm also gonna have locks as well, and I'm gonna continue to do that and show guys, show people that I can do this. I'm not going to show my kids the same thing. Like, hey, you can have your long hair and still be successful and do what you want to do in this world. And so um, it's just one of those things about professionalism and, you know, these microaggressions and things like that around that. And it's just like, we can still be just as good, if not better. Actually 100%. better. But our hair doesn't like, doesn't mean that we're less professional. You know what I'm saying? So. Right.
1: It's part of it's part of identity that we get a craft. Excuse mm-hmm. me. It's just like, Man, I'm gonna tie all this together, right? So, uh, Morant, right? Mm-hmm. I feel for him because if I'm correct, I don't know all the details. Excuse me to the whole story, but he he kind of like grew up in the suburbs and stuff, right?
0: That's that story keeps going back and forth. Some say that it's the suburbs. Okay. Some say it's rural. Some say it's tough. I don't know. Okay, but somebody I, can say suburbs, rural. I don't know.
1: I grew up in the suburbs, man, and right, and I'm not a small dude, man. So, but I've always, I've had like this warrior spirit, but I grew up in the burbs, right? And there's right. this. There's this thing where, like, I'm a third generation college student, man. My grandma, paternal grandma, went to Virginia State University, man. She was a teacher wow. for 30 plus years. Brothers, so, like, yeah, right. Is, it, is, that, is that is that where your shirt is right there, too? Yeah, man. Right, that's what I thought. So, yeah. man. All right. So, we fam. So, like, so, you know, I grew up in the burbs and I, you know, Adolescence is just a wild time in general. Right. And so for me, there was nothing more than I wanted to feel more connected to my black friends. Right. My black peers, my black friends. So we actually moved from Maryland when I was in ninth grade and we uh, started 10th grade in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And that's really where I started having more Mm -hmm. black friends, because I don't blame my parents for this. I want to be clear. Right. They my dad started making some money. He's like, all right, we're going to make sure he goes to good schools. What does right. good schools typically mean? Good mm-hmm. schools. It yeah, means white, school. right? And yeah. so I don't mm-hmm. blame them. They're trying to do what they thought was right. What happened is I had um, decades worth of racist experiences that I really didn't start to uh, like unpack until I was in my 20s and 30s. And that's mm-hmm. it's gotten to the point where I'm like, I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with it. I want to deal with people who are authentic, even if they're white folks. I want people who be authentic. But man, I yeah. just... I want to be in authentic black spaces and do dope stuff for black folks and especially black men, because I feel like we get ignored a lot. So when I saw the Morant stuff, I was like, okay, I feel for this brother. Let's see what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. I definitely had my, my, I had a very wild streak. Right. I was hanging out right. with some homeboys. Like, but I got to see another side of life too, man. I got to understand that mm-hmm. better. And um, you know, through all of that, is where, I, look, I lost track of what we was talking about, man. This is going to happen a lot, brother. You're going to have to it's keep me nah, on we track. Good, we got, I'm going to veer you. off. I'm gonna wild, going to get wild,
0: okay? No, keep going. I'm a, I got you. I got you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Keep going.
1: All right. <laughs> I, look, I'm going to warn you. That's what I do, man. So, like, I, I, you know, for me, it was this point of understanding the depths of what my blackness was, right? Because I actually know right. a lot about my family history, man. My great, great, great grandfather on my dad's side. Runaway slave, changed his name to Dodd sin to dot sin. Mm. fought in the Civil War, made it for the for the Union. like let's be clear, okay, <laughs> because uh the only black people that was fighting for the Confederacy were slaves that were, you know uh, forced to fight for the Confederacy despite exactly. all these you know, you know fabrications out there. He yeah. made it through the Civil War alive. And with that money that he got, and some white dude took some of that money, but with that money that he got, he bought 62 acres of land in Glen Burnie, Maryland, Furnace Branch Road. You can you can you can validate all my all my stuff, yeah. right? And so, and then my mom's family grew up right down the street from my dad's family. My mom's father was one of the not just first Black people to work for NASA, one of the first people to work for NASA. He didn't even have a college degree. The man was a genius. But now when I see this, he's clearly neurodivergent. My whole family is neurodivergent, right? Mm-hmm. And so. I had this strong sense of like what it meant to be black from my family history. And I didn't realize how much of a privilege that was until I got older. Really, I was hanging out with some of my homeboys in high school and stuff. And I was like, man, I got to respect this, man. Their life is so much different. And honestly, these brothers are smarter than me. I just had some extra advantages. They get some of this stuff way quicker than I do. And um, it, it, it changed my perspective, man. It changed my perspective for the better. These are homeboys for life. I still kick it with them today, right? right and um, right. it's one of the reasons why I am what I am. So when I got into, through all my evolutions, through all my careers, that's mm-hmm. a long story. But mm-hmm. when I was at NC State and I was doing this career development stuff, after a while, I was like, you know what? No nah, man, I'm I'm the representative. I'm representing what our black students and specifically our black male students look like. So I start growing my hair out, man. I mean it's, it's a lot longer than it looks. I'm 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 thinking I might I might do something with it, you know? Yeah, and yeah. but that's the whole reason why I do it. Because when people see me, they see a brother, my age, mm-hmm. they see my hair, they see my glasses, they look they're like, what oh, what is yeah. what does he do? Yeah. What does yeah, he do? Yeah, Sometimes yeah. if I wear a polo shirt with like the NC State logo on, they think I'm a coach. Like, oh, you a coach? Like, I ain't no damn
0: first coach, name. man. First
2: name, <laughs> first name. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's the identity piece of that, and I think like understanding your like, you're right. Like bringing up the piece of you were privileged to have that to know your full length of your blackness and what that look like. And I think for some of us, it, it, we don't maybe because we didn't get passed down or we didn't have the opportunities and then we go through this phase where we're trying to survive trying to succeed but we still don't know authentically who we are in our, in and of ourselves and I feel like I had that kind of a transition period around that I always had roots of it but then mm-hmm. like as I got older like when my parents like my grandparents started you know getting sick or ill or just you know giving information that I was able to digest at an um, a age that was digestible um, you start to pick up and see these different things. Like, my grandmother yeah. was very prominent in the, uh, Stafford, um, Virginia's NAACP, right? But I never knew that until I started getting more involved in some of that social justice community-based work. And they was like, oh, you something, some uh, grandson? Yeah. Oh, we love her. Da, da, da. And I'm like, yo, wow. Like, I never knew that, you know, and stuff. And so, and even in Caroline, like, Caroline has a very distinct, distinct history around um race and ethnicity of course the love and rest virginia case was um Mm -hmm. from here in bowling green virginia right um things like that confederacy comes through here sometimes you know what i'm saying like it's all these different things that's happened and um but also one of the things that don't get taught a lot so i had to go out to like fayetteville state i went to fayetteville state for one year and um went there did a class in african-american history really almost failed it because i didn't know my history come back and go to college to find out all these different things about my history my black history but also even my county community that i came from Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how you know influential they were in these this race battle stuff like that and it's like some of that is hidden for a lot of us in the school system that we operate in and if it's not told from an oral perspective from our family members or you know loved ones then we don't we don't know it until we go on this journey to find it you know?
1: Right, right, man. I, 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 you said that really well, man. I love that because I look. I love my dad's side of family, and there's some dope people. Actually, one of my cousins, um, black woman, owns her own civil engineering firm in D.C.'s. Won yeah. awards. I mean, it's bad, bad, right? Yeah. And so, like, my my dad's family, like, they're big people. My mom's family are short people. Okay, yeah. I'm way yeah. taller than all of them. Yeah. Uh, my dad's like six four. Everybody's big. They tall. They're loud and um they have a reputation like so if anyone is like in maryland or has been in maryland for a long time or used to be like this place called dotson's ribs and dotson's mm-hmm. tavern that's my family that's my dad's side of family gotcha and so um man they just, i started figuring out when i got older i don't think they really realize or at least some of them like how much like privilege that they had and i'm not saying that like they were entitled or anything right, just right. I see why they had so much confidence, man. It was like black elite. They was doing the thing. They had their own land. Yeah. They had their own money. They had yeah. to rely on any white people or anyone else for stuff. It was theirs. Right. It was all theirs. And, you know, because of the ways of this world, you know, my uh, the my dad's generation and the family had kind of gotten away from that. Not a negative thing. We had to go out here and get jobs and make right. it happen. Right. But with all this change, especially that the pandemic brought up, I'm like, no, we're gonna get back to this man we're gonna get back to this because I need my own man I can't I, I'm not I'm not taking these orders half the time from people that don't know what they're talking about don't want to listen to me mm-hmm. to be honest with you people see all these accolades of mine on paper and this and that that's not even it's not really who I am I mean it, it is at this point in time right, I've right. become something new I'm I, and I don't want you know anyone to hear that who might be thinking they want to do this thing as a reason to not do it no do it right yeah but a lot of the stuff that I talk about was stuff I talked about before I had a, well, I don't have my PhD yet, before I was a PhD candidate, right? but now all of a sudden people listen, right? Now yeah, all of a sudden people give yeah. me the benefit of doubt and they want to yeah. care, but they didn't care five years ago, you know? Right. The main reason why I got a PhD is because it gives me flexibility. I can write. I love to write, whether nonfiction or fiction, you know, I can leverage myself in a bunch of different spaces, but I know when I walk through the door and someone's like, oh, you know, what's your name? I'm like, Dr. Wade. You know, well, oh, when that happens, yeah. And, and,
2: and, yeah. And, 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 yeah,
1: but you know, that's, it, it hits different, man. And I get that initial respect that I want. And that's honestly, you know, what I did. And this is one of the reasons why I love our culture, man. I love hip hop. I love what we do because it's, it's, it's brothers and sisters and everybody else doing their thing, doing oh, their man. thing, being authentic, respect me, man, respect my lane, respect where I'm coming from and listen to my story. And you know what, if you don't, then bye.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. I
0: lo- I, mean, I love that energy, man. Yeah, Come on. You move on. That's that's <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I jumped to private practice to do my own thing, to work with black men and black women, um, particularly with black men as well. And because like I got through all these situations where same bureaucracy, same type of thing in every agency, since even back to when I was working at the bagel shop in the hospital. You know what I'm saying? Same type of stuff. You still gotta answer to what they want. And even if you bring up changes, you bring up things that make sense. It's like, oh, well, nah, we, we might take that into account, but it still works this way. And, um, you know, at the end of it, going to the pandemic, it was just like, you know, well, I want to do my private practice. I want to work with black people. I want to be a voice. I got that license. Um, I seen the power of doing it right in a way that makes sense. looks like looks right for us with my, one of my groups I was doing for black men called the Goodfellas project. And I said, okay, well, if I can take that and make that individualistic, then, then yeah, there's a no-brainer. And so I'm right. proud of that, right? Because I can say that I did, and who's to say, even, it it's kind of sounds nuts to even say that we did, you, you've done something in a very unique way, specific way that has not really been done before. A private practice, virtual, right. in the pandemic for black men and black women, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. doing therapy. And, and that's something that I, I hang my hat on with, but it's like I had to do that to be my unique self and to break away from some of these things that were, I felt like was stifling me. And I still did it in my own black way. That's how I show up to work most of the time. And even when I'm teaching on campus, when I'm at Virginia state, you know what I'm saying? I I still show up to work the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like it's something about being your, 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 your authentic black self in these black spaces and doing the black work that you want to do with, you know, black people and stuff like that. So I definitely, it's powerful. It makes you
1: feel like a superhero, man.
0: It does. It really does. And I felt it for the first time. I felt it in the past, but I really felt it one day when I was, um, we was, I was on campus and I was in my office and um, this student that came up, he wanted to switch to the social work program. So mm-hmm. I had already had like two sessions that day. I was working on something for a class and he came in and me and my colleague convinced him to come to the social work program. And it was like, and I'm surrounded by black professionals, black doctors, and all this stuff with stuff like that. And this kid comes in and he wants to, he just trying to find his direction, but he comes in, and he said, I want to become a social work student based upon, cause I see y'all, you got locks, you dressing like this, you got a doctorate. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, yo, this is what, this is it. This is it. You know, this is it. I just yeah. got off my black practice, seeing my black clients and doing stuff like, that piece of it is just a different experience, man. That is almost like tearful, almost, you know.
1: I got two questions for you, man. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna need your help so I can remember the second one because <laughs> we, <laughs> we might we might get this up. So the second one, um, oh man, I don't know, I forgot the second. One. See, this is uh, like I, I like to talk about this stuff in real time so people can see what it is. So I'm ADHD, right? So one of the things that is very typical with ADHD is uh poor working memory right mm-hmm. we have long-term memory we have short-term memory we have working memory mm-hmm. my long-term memory is abnormally good it's one of the reasons why i've been able to push my way through school because i remember right. pretty much everything that i hear almost gotcha. i i i mean my memory is not perfect i'm a human i forget many things yeah. <laughs> okay my, my wife will tell you that right. <laughs> but i also remember a lot my first memory is from when i was one year old man i have a ridiculous wow. long-term memory but my working memory, man, I'll be sitting here talking, forget what I was talking about mid-sentence. It happens all the yeah. time, right? Yeah. And that's okay because yeah. I have other strengths. It's not everything is not working memory. So I, when these things happen, when I'm working with clients, I call it out in person so they can mm-hmm. see it mm-hmm. and they can know what that is when they experience it for themselves and not be ashamed or embarrassed of it. Exactly. Hey, man, that's how my brain works. I bet you my brain works really well in some other ways, better than better, better these other folks, you know? Right. So exactly. we, we shouldn't sweat it. Right. anyway so i forget what question two is but question question one um you said you was working at a bagel shop in the hospital i had a high school job at mm-hmm. a hospital and um uh, it was nothing pretty it was right. nothing pretty what 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 hospital if you it's okay if you don't want to say but what what was it like man what was that bagel job like
0: <laughs> that was uh that was my like first official job in high school um doing like at Einstein bagels, um, doing uh, food service and we, I was running register. I was making sandwiches. I was doing prep work. I was cleaning, um, all of that. And I did that on and off, mostly probably through maybe junior, senior year and all of my undergrad time. That's where I was doing food service and working in my bagel shop. And so that was one of those situations where, um, you know, I was tired of doing it, but my customer service skills, that skill translated mm-hmm. over into me being a mental professional in therapy.
1: 100%. Easy. People people devalue that. Those skills are important, man. Yeah. You learn a lot from those part-time jobs, man.
0: Yeah. So um, it, it it helped a lot. But, of course, you, know, you don't want to work in bagel shop. I was working. Sometimes i get up at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to go do prep work and come back at 12 o'clock. That was one of my schedules at some time. They were flexible. They helped out. I will say this. They were super helpful in building – one, my cash flow, but also Mm -hmm. having a job to work to while in school. Um, But, and I had some soft skills that helped me become the therapist that I am or the clinician I am today. Um, But yeah, it's a bagel shop. Like (laughs) It
1: sounds like you had a much better experience.
0: But you know what, the thing about it too, like I had people in leadership that like knew my family and stuff like that oh so, that's different so that's like different. everybody from the area kind of worked up there in mary washington right you know what I'm so mm.
1: so i i've had a lot of jobs throughout my life like let's just talk about like before undergrad my very first job this yeah. was under the table i was eight or nine years old uh-huh. my 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 pep had my maternal grandfather who i talked about when he retired from nasa he had inherited a cemetery it's in um uh, I forget what city in Maryland. It's called wow. Saint Rest Cemetery. Okay. Wow. And my job was to dig and fill graves into direct funeral traffic with my my grandfather. He had there. a backhoe. He refused <laughs> to use tobacco. He yeah. only used his his black hands shuffled <laughs> his shovel to dig these graves oh man gosh. in the maryland heat i'd be up there like dying man just working yeah. also like scared i would try to work fast so it wasn't in the evening i'm like man all
2: these things,
1: man yeah. i delivered coupons for pizza bullies in maryland oh. we was look they would they would they would drop us off in the middle of a neighborhood and they would have we'd have a backpack and they put a stack of coupons in there and they give us like a sub and hawaiian punch we was wow i've always been kind of wild man and so like wow. we would deliver a few of them yeah and then after a while i'm like man we ain't delivering these we take the stack like throw it in the trash. yeah, yeah. The just eat the food about but also like there was this <laughs> there was this Anxiety that I had about going and knocking on these doors in a suburb. It was right. in Croton. These are mostly white homes. Right. I, I was like 12 at that time, and I was not, I was, I was I I've been five foot eleven since eighth grade, right? I've not gotten That's any it. taller since eighth uh-huh. grade. So I was uh-huh. close to that at 12. I was big, I was like, ah, I don't like this, right? Yeah. And I i didn't really have the language to put behind it. So yeah. from other people's perspective, oh, he's just a delinquent, it's just wild. But in reality, I was anxious about racism, man, you know, yeah. and that's, that's a very real concern. Okay. And so mm-hmm. I had a bunch of other jobs. I had this one job at Kaufman seafood in gambles, Maryland. I remember I got into this argument with this brother from the Barbados. Cause he couldn't say my name and he was yelling at me. He, instead of saying <laughs> Wesley, he would say, Wiggly, Wiggly, Wiggly. Why, you know, cut these vegetables over here. Wiggly, Wiggly. It's <laughs> I, I I lost it. I lost it yeah. one day. I was like, Damn it, Charles! And I up, uh, man, I threw that. I'm sorry. I'm oh, you're cussing on your podcast. Yeah, threw the thing down or threw a plate down. I was like, I, I was 14 at that. That was my first paid, right. like, legitimate over-the-table paid job. And I was
0: like, uh, man, you won't. Ain't nobody get my face, man. You won't get my face. Blah blah.
1: Man, Charles, stop that real quick. <laughs> yeah, real.
0: <laughs> real, quick.
2: Relax. So anyway, man,
0: <laughs> cut the like, tone down,
2: that,
1: Charles. <laughs> cut the tone down, Charles. My name yeah. ain't Wiggly Boy, right? R- I mean, right. my. You understand, right. man. My you hear like my my dad's family, man. My dad is six foot four. He's his confidence out in the yin yang. He wrote a best selling novel in the early night. He's a brilliant dude. Wow. And he's wow. a country dude, but he's a brilliant dude. And he's, you know, he's a brother, so he's smooth, man. I, I have always tried to emulate yeah. that confidence that my dad has has had his whole life. I, I feel like I just really have it right now at forty, and I had mm-hmm. to get all this other stuff to get close to that six foot four black up. man confidence that he has. But he instilled that in me. So even when I was scared, man, he was like, don't ever let somebody disrespect your name. Yeah. This man was calling me Wiggly. And <laughs> I could just hear my dad like, nah, man, you got to let him know.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to address that. <laughs> and yeah, that's, something, that's something, like my, something my pops would say too. Like, what? Right. No, nah, nah, you got to stand up and address that, bro. But my pops is kind of sim- similar. Like this loud, boisterous, you know, ain't going to tolerate a lot of disrespect. He's a man's man. When Old I school, school right brother, there. man. Old school yeah, <laughs> That's right. It. And there's good and
1: bad with that, but you know what? As a black boy growing up in this world, it's a lot more good with that man. I needed that. I ne- yeah. I needed to know I had this man in my corner, man who who was able to look look wow. at me and be like, look, man, don't you ever let anybody do that to you, man. That boy. Say something stupid to you. This was like in school. This, Uh Okay, I'm going to get back to the hospital. I got to tell you this. This was
2: hilarious.
1: (laughs) For two years, we lived in Palo Alto, California, right? This was, I was born in 82, man. I was like four through six. And I was a really shy little kid. I was a really, really shy little kid, okay? Mm -hmm. It probably goes into some of the neurodivergent stuff too. But like- I remember there was, you know, not a lot of black folks. I started, that's when I really started seeing a lot of racism. We were living in Baltimore and then we moved to Palo Alto. We couldn't even find a place to get our hair cut. And I remember watching the way these people were talking to my dad. No, we don't cut your hair. I was just like... And I was like, my dad held it together because he had his son there. And I was just thinking in my head, like, what what would happen if I wasn't there? So anyway, right, right. this little boy at uh, the kindergarten I was at, man, I don't know, he said something to me and it was racist. And I told my dad about it. He was like, man, you look at that boy. You know, he tries to mess with you because he had like trying to intimidate me. He was like Swiss. He was like, he was huge, he was a huge little kid, man. He uh-huh. was like, you look at that boy in the face, you smack him across the face. I, I do not give this advice now, right? Okay, right? This was what happened. This was in the 80s.
2: Yeah.
1: Man, I went to class, and that boy didn't say nothing but like, hey, Wes. And I went, boom, man. Oh, I done lost my headphones.
0: <laughs> so said, I, hey, man, I said, hey, Wes, said, forget I, it. I'm a-
1: <laughs> I just, cause, because I was scared, right? right. And I, but I was more scared of my dad, but I also respected my dad, and I knew that he was, Right, even if he wasn't, I was just right. like, nah man, I got to do this." Boy, I ain't never say nothing again. <laughs> <laughs> right. now, this yeah. is not the advice that I give in twenty twenty three. This is my not glasses the are advice that
0: therapists give. Uh, we do give, but <laughs> this is but it's a, reality.
1: It's a meaningful yeah. story. It's a meaningful anecdote to understand, like these. Um evolutions that we go through as black boys to black youth to black yeah. men, and there's there's some of these lessons that we have are just they have to be different, you know.
0: But you know, and that so brings up, that brings up a quick question ahead. before we go on into that, because you said two things. You said some of the neurodiversity tendencies about being shy, but then also reacting not so much out of fear of the boy, but fear of your dad but still mm-hmm. kind of not processing fully. It sounds like what's happened. Just know I am I need to do something. Right. Elaborate on that a little bit, because I feel like when we start talking about black boys and behaviors, right. Mm-hmm. We automatically want to assume that they're just not listening or they're just not, you know, they're just being delinquent or being, you know, right. who they are, little boys kind of expound upon that a little bit more around that, because in that situation, how would one know, Really, what's happening and what's going on in that little boy's mind?
1: That question you asked right there lets me know you were a really dope therapist, man. Because you heard all this stuff I was saying, you heard that little thing, you picked it <laughs> out, you connected it to something else. I see you, brother, yeah. I see you, man. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. So there's a lot of things there. One, I know. Um, plenty of folks ain't going to like this. Okay. I'm not like a spanking advocate. Okay. Now I don't tear people down for spanking either. Right. right? It's a little bit different in our culture as black folks. And I understand it. Mm-hmm. even i have two girls even if i had two boys i wouldn't be spanking them right. um one of my like dinner party questions i would ask people is like hey man did you get spanked when you grew up and they're like yeah i i got spanked when i grew up Me
2: too. and so
1: i was like did you get spanked more or less than your parents did the answer was always less right so yeah. what about your parents did they get spanked more or less than their parents they was like oh yeah probably less and i was like so then why does it seem that there's this evolution that we continue to Spank our kids less and less, right? Maybe because it's not that good, right? There's some we feel a certain way about it and we want to do it less. And so um my dad did spank me. He was big, and so there was some fear from that. And so part of so something else too, like um with neurodivergencies, a lot of times there's there's always some level of sensory sensitivity, whether you're autistic, whether you're ADHD or whatever, and it can be to the degree, especially if you're autistic, to the degree that you are completely like just debilitated from, um, you know, s- like sensory overload. Right. right to right. where it can just be a nuisance to where you can't do anything. Um, when I have like my more ADHD moments, very scientific term there, I um, my sensory gets very sensitive. So during the pandemic, when I had some hardships. Right. And I was like in home, I wasn't getting a lot of stimulus because ADHD yeah. brains need. Stimulus. They need stimulus. And so when I didn't get it, I started seeing my ADHD traits like continue to crank up, 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 up. And so it actually looked like I was more autistic on the surface from uh, like my presentations. Like I got my mm. sensory sensitivities were going through the roof as a little kid. When you're just starting to process this body that you're in and your brain and all this other sensory stuff,
2: right. it's kind of
1: similar to that. So I would have these overwhelming moments of sensory where I would just clam up and get real quiet and the you know teachers typically white teachers around me almost always would be like well he's just not listening he's just being insubordinate exactly. I was exactly. scared, man. I was scared. I was intimidated. I didn't know what was going on, but they didn't see me as scared. They didn't see me as needing some time in some headphones to go sit in a quiet room. You know, right, they just right, saw right. me as like, this little black boy is a problem. We're going to put him over here. Right. And, that, and, and and I think that's what happens a lot.
0: Gotcha. That's, that makes a lot of sense. Another question around that is that if you do act out or you do kind of, when that sensory overload is too much and you do maybe say you react, then it's also the other piece of, you know, oh well, that he's a problem child, or he's just not. he's also not listening and insubordinate. And also for black families, right? I, was, I imagine you saying, if you shutting down, you got a sense your overload, and you go into the corner if you don't know what to say. And your dad or mom says, "Oh, well, you ain't, what you got to say? You don't want to say nothing about that." And that it heightens it even more because you're already scared of them. And yeah. it, it takes it to another level. And so that's the reason why I ask, because I'm not just saying that from a from a, the educators and the professionals that are working with black mm-hmm. boys and black men, but also as black families and black parents. When your child is going through that, this is a sensitive time for them growing up as they're learning their emotions and feelings. But also, if there is neurodiversity there, then there is an extra layer that you have to also be aware right. of yourself. And a lot of times for us as parents, I think we're this is one thing I always say. Parenting makes you exposes the things that you have not worked on within yourself. Yes.
1: Say, say, say that again, man. Say that again for the people in the back.
0: <laughs> Parenting exposes the things that you have not worked on within yourself. And I say that because you are dealing with a child who is new to the world. So they don't know any of these things.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: you have to be really aware and patient. Um, and what's going on around that. And if there's something else that's there, you need to also be aware of that too. And so this is where I feel like, you know, a lot of times when parents talk about, and this is when I even have conversations with parents when they, in the community, they're like, okay, what can we do with the youth? Or how can we talk to the youth and get them to do this and that and 3rd And I'm like, have y'all took the time to listen, to share, to not Mm -hmm. just reprimand and to not just try to correct, but also have a lending ear, lending shoulder, and take a seat back and listen to what these children or kids are saying and right. then working from there versus just reacting and trying to protect when you're not really solving a problem you know
1: man i that's you you're 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 on point brother you were on point um the neurodivergence piece right so if a kid is neurodivergent they're going to have some sensory stuff. So if they have like heightened sensory needs and you're spanking them, it's a it's a traumatic experience. Right. And I'll tell you, for me, it was a traumatic experience. You know what happens after you experience that trauma? Um, you say this won't happen again. So, you know, what happened? man? I got really good at hiding stuff. Well, I was oh, James gone, said. man? You know how wild I was, man? We was in high school. My dad had this 91, 92 Jeep Cherokee stick shift, man. This was like yeah. just his little old car that he had. I ended up um, getting uh, when I was a teenager, like later, so I could drive. Mm-hmm. Man, he was going on business. I put that thing in neutral, pushed it out into the driveway, <laughs> you know, and, like, and I went, pick up my homeboys in it and stuff. I looked like I was in college, so I could and I yeah, figure right. out how to drive. I'm, I did. You know how uh, on, on a black album, Jay-Z's mom's like, he didn't even learn how he just hopped on a bike and started road. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned how to ride a bike. I can figure, this is like the ADHD mind, man. I can figure anything out if I'm interested in it. Anything, right, man. Right. I didn't learn how to ride a bike. I saw my friends were riding a bike and I didn't, I wanted to ride. And this, I remember the boy's name. His name was Peter Amadusi. It was in Palo Alto, California. And it was this mm-hmm. little white dude. We was good friends because I got an extra bike West and I was, I just didn't want to be left behind. And I was like, okay, I, I know how to ride my big mm-hmm. wheel. I got, I just hopped on that bike. Like it was like I've rode one my whole life and just, I, no one taught me how to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. That's also one of the greatest undoings for me too, is that when you can teach yourself things really well that you're interested in and you are, from my experience, black and a black man and you're, Pushed to the margins frequently because people don't see you fully and they don't understand you, you become very like hyper independent. And my parents kind of raised me to be hyper independent. And so it took me into my thirties to realize like that old uh, African proverb, like, okay, I can go fast by myself, but if I want to go far, I got to go with others. And I wasn't conditioned to working well with other people because I had to do everything on my own to try to figure that, and I don't mean like solely. Everyone has help. My my parents helped me yeah, out yeah, plenty yeah, yeah. in my life. Okay, I'm not uh, pulling up for the bootstraps. My parents <laughs> helped me out plenty. Okay, but right. I still had to do a lot of things on my own. And so, um, going back to the parenting piece, is uh, you raising a kid like that, right? If we aren't thinking about how we think, metacognition, right? Mm-hmm. Then we're just going to fall into the same behaviors, better or worse, that our parents did, because that's what we know. Right. 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 It's uh, uh, to quote to quote one of both of our beloved players. Mm. Practice. We talk about practice. Right. (laughs) The only practice you get in parenting was your own childhood. So that is what you're going to default to if you don't spend time thinking about why do I think like that? Okay, well, yes. hey, I think I think I'm gonna spank my kid. But why do I think that's okay? Right? Why do I think that's and okay, like yeah. thinking about my thought process, thinking about my thinking about how to be a parent. Not just I'm a father, but I'm a father. I'm 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 one half of a team. I gotta think about how the wife thinks too. And We grew up very diff- we have two right. very different backgrounds, man. I have right. a I had a pretty privileged background. She had complete opposite background, man. Like. Mm-hmm. first generation college student pops in prison all this sort of stuff i ain't, ain't my stories so i ain't telling most of it on here but that's there's a lot more to it
2: yeah and
1: so yeah. just survival instincts and mentality is much stronger in her and it's a huge strength until right. it's not right. my hyper independence is a huge strength until it's not right and so yeah. we have to think about why we think the way we do when it comes to parenting how does that affect not just us as individual parents but this system that we have because a home is a family system as you know right, right? so right. yeah man I, man that's what you just said is 100% on point i love that
0: yeah and so another thing that pops up too is that you know you talk about a feeling of a sense of not being left out and I feel like a lot of times for us as black men, you know, a lot of that us reacting or behaviors is one of those things of fear of not of being missing out or fearing of being left out. But then at the same time, like what else is going on? Right. Like, What else is there that is, you know, triggering that or activating that? I'm sorry. And making that happen for us that maybe has nothing to do with that current situation, but all to do with past experiences or traumas mm. or things that we have maybe experienced in the household it's one of the things i always tell community leaders or in the community about you know where does the behavior come from i'm like hey if you're looking in the household or you're looking in the school system around socially look at those two places first before just judging and coming up with whatever you want to come up with because those are the two most influential places right and so if if my parents is 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 not aware and they're judging or trying to parent based upon how they don't want to be the parents of their own parents. Or I said that kind of wrong, but how they were parented and they don't want to be that for you or they don't know any better. So I'm going to do this to my child. Then we had talking about two different scenarios with that. Right. Um, but I want you to also define for everybody that's listening and watching what neurodiversity is. Mm hmm. And then I want you to define it for what neurodiversity is for black boys and black men.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, Neurodiversity is a theory, right? It's a theory coined by Judy Singer. Neurodiversity is the idea that everybody's brain is different. Everybody's brain is different. Right. And that, that is a fact. And, while one brain might have strengths and be better in a certain situation, another brain has different strengths and is better in a different situation. There is no one type of brain that is better period. Right. Mm-hmm. But like we have in our culture, we have a lot, not say our culture, I mean the U S culture as a whole, and honestly the world culture, but the right. U S we have hierarchies for like everything. We have racial hierarchies. We have, you know, class hierarchies. We have right. educational hierarchies. We all this sort of stuff. And there's psychological cognitive hierarchies as well. Hmm. And so we tend to privilege people who, who what we would say is neurotypical, meaning that they have the statistical, statistically normal representation. I say statistically normal because it's not normal. There is no normal, right? right? It's just, this is what we see most commonly in people. And honestly, I only think we see that more commonly because that's what we test for. And the tests tend to yeah. not be culturally specific. So anyway, it just means that, hey, people got different brains, right? No one brain is better than the other brain. And let's advocate for this so that people mm-hmm. know. That's what neurodiversity is about. Now, within neurodiversity, I said neurotypical. These are people who don't have any kind of neurodivergent conditions. Right. And then neurodivergent is people who do have neurodivergent conditions. The other thing that I love about neurodiversity is it is a strengths, strengths-based strengths model. And especially mm-hmm. as black folks, we should run from anything that is a deficit based model. It doesn't mean that like addressing your weaknesses are not important. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I think I just said this story the other day on my little like videos that I was doing. This happened years ago where I had a, a manager. He's a nice guy, man, but he was trying to get me to like do more at this job. Right. Yeah. Even though I was doing really well. But they had these certain metrics of like, oh, you need to make this mm-hmm. this is my corporate career. You need to make 70 dials a day. I only made thirty. Right. but I spent two hours more on the phone with potential clients than the people who made 70 dials. Mm-hmm. So why do you care? And I'm closing deals and when I closed those deals, they were better clients because I got to know them better, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was my strength. So he was trying to say, like, yeah, but imagine how much you would do if you made seventy dials. Mm-hmm. And so I was he was a big NBA fan. this was like 2012, 2013. I was like, look, man, um. You wouldn't go up to Shaq and be like, Shaq, man, you're doing great. But if you could just hit that three like Kobe,
2: yeah, man, yeah.
1: you could do so much better. You wouldn't do that, right? Yeah. And right. you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't do the same to Kobe, rest, is, rest in peace, right? But, like, right. you wouldn't do the same to Kobe. Like, man, Kobe, you just bulk up a little bit and, like, hit that post like, you know, Shaq could. You don't do that. We look at our strengths. Does that mean that Kobe and Shaq never developed their weaknesses? No, but they doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on their strengths, right? Right, So neurodiversity is like, look, we need to look at this stuff from a strengths-based perspective. A lot of the medical model, which is how we get diagnosed, is, hey, this is a problem. You need to cure this problem. Here's some medication to cure it. Here's some ways to fix it. Here's a therapy-style ABA that says, you should be like this, and we're going to show you how you can be like this. Mm. Instead of saying... Let's understand who you are and what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And let's figure out those things that you're good at and let's expand on those things that you're good at. Hey, I'll help you with some of the executive functioning stuff. It's like managing your day and your schedules, you know, and stuff like that. Like, we'll help you get better on that. But helping you get better on in that, through your strengths, is really what it's about. Because that's right. how we learn, right? Yeah. We we learn through the things that we're good at. We we gravitate towards that. You right. look at people who are hyper successful; they have doubled down on their strengths, right? Right. So that's that's neurodiversity. Uh, that's about as succinct as I could do it. Yeah. For black folks, we need strength-based models, right? And mm-hmm. for black folks, um, we get left out. In the neurodiversity conversation, a lot. Yeah. And look, I mean, I'm be, I'm be, I'm gonna keep it one, like all the way one hundred. A lot of neurodiversity conversations are very white centered, and people argue about language. They don't like labels. And they try to yeah. figure this out. I'm black. I can't erase my label. You know, I'm black when I walk in the room. So I'm very comfortable with this label. All yeah. right. Some, mm-hmm. of, I, I'm just like y'all. Just got to get over the fact that <laughs> some people got labels. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You got a label. You're just not used to that because you're white. And you don't think about white as being a race. You think about Think of it as a default. Right. Mm -hmm. I have a label. I'm comfortable with it. So, um, you know, since the 70s and before, but there was like a big movement within like black psychology for a push towards more strength based models. So for us as black folks, we don't have to get like too caught up in the whole like. Oh, this isn't a disability. This is just an identity. It doesn't, in my opinion, I don't it doesn't really matter if you see it as a disability or a point a point of identity because that's an mm-hmm. argument within the neurodiversity piece. All that you need to know is that you're not broken. Okay. Yeah, like your brain right. works. Not only does it work, it works really well on certain things. Yeah. And some things, it's a little like the, the weaknesses are, are are pretty prominent. There's a there's a big disparity between our strengths and weaknesses for neurodivergent folks. For someone who's neurotypical, your strengths and weaknesses are going to be closer, right? Right. There's not that big a difference. Like for me, working memory, right? I was taught taught my long-term memory is freakishly good, right? My working memory, you know, not so much, right? There's a big disparity between those things. Mm -hmm. So when I do things like writing, I have to read the prompt like 50 times because I keep forgetting in mid-paragraph what I'm writing about and stuff, Right. right? And so... What it also looks like for us is um, when people experience um, anxiety and trauma and depression, which I think is just a natural part of the black experience in the United States, it's going to exacerbate all of these things. So we need to protect our children, especially, well, I'm not going to say especially. We need to protect all of our children. I, I, I have a special heart for black boys and black men, not because I personally feel that like we're more subjugated than you know um black women or you know black non binary folks right yeah. they they have a whole different thing going on, and honestly, I feel like they have more going on than we do, yeah, but we get ignored a lot, man. We get lumped into this category of men i i I'm guilty of it myself sometimes right. you know look, sometimes everybody needs to be called out okay there's right. plenty of brothers doing dumb stuff, but like
2: yes yeah. um. <laughs> Yeah, we are. Yeah,
1: I'm yeah. not a I say this all the time. Man, I'm not a man that happens to be black. I'm a black man. That means something very different, man. One yeah. in five black men experience sexual assault. Black men get told to be quiet and smile more. Black men get told that our accomplishments, when we speak about them proudly, don't matter. We're being braggadocious. Black yeah. men, you talk about all these, all these D, which DI is yeah. great. I love DI. We need more of it. But a lot of these DI initiatives that look at wage disparities, it centers women. And you hear white women being the loudest white women making more money than everybody almost except for white men and Asian men. And so, right. like, black men in those studies, black women and, like, Latina and Hispanic women are the only groups that make less than black men. But we're not in those conversations. We get left out of this. And you know what? Look, man, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm, yeah. t- I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. So, so what does neurodiversity mean for black folks? It means this is an area of our intelligence. And it's an area of our intelligence that we should respect. And this, so, so here's another thing. Okay. I know I'm being a little long winded here, but you this good, is important. Good. So um, racial trauma is a real thing, right? We experience right. a lot of racial trauma coming up. And so a lot of times ADHD can mimic racial, can, can mimic trauma, can mimic yes. PTSD, can mimic traumatic experiences, yes. racial people don't respect what racial trauma does to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know plenty of folks who were in the military. They had a lot of people who had PTSD from the military had PTSD before they entered the military. okay? Mm -hmm. And when you talk about folks who grew up with all this racial trauma, that's PTSD. Whether you want to call it uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome, like Dr. Joyce DeGruy said or something else, it's all real. Right. Right. And regardless if it's um, a trauma presentation that looks like ADHD or it really is ADHD, we treat them the same way. We treat Mm. them the same daggone way. So I I, I personally feel a lot of black folks, I feel like a higher percentage of black folks are neurodivergent. That's a personal theory that I have. Um, I would like to spend some more time working on that. But I I think some of that comes from the trauma that a lot of us experience in this. I know Tim Scott doesn't believe this, but this racist country (laughs) that we live in, right? And people don't understand the complexities that come with that. I love this country and I hate this country at the same time. Right. White right. people will get mad. And I look. I I'm I feel like I'm ragging on white. But I have many white friends. I, I, have, I have black friends. I <laughs> the godfather of my children is a white man. I've been friends with since fourth grade. I'm the godfather right. of his kids. Like this. Right. I don't dislike. I don't hate white people. I don't dislike right. white people. I dislike racist people. Okay. Right. And right. a lot of white people tend to be intentionally racist. Like they, we can make little racist mistakes here and there but some people correct oh oh, my bad i see what i did got it Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, that's cool mm -hmm, right we all do things wrong right anyway uh look working memory what the heck was i talking about man keep me on track
0: you were talking (laughs) about like just far as neurodiversity in the black community and the other question i asked was like around us as black boys and black men but i'm gonna hold your apologies right there because i want to ask because you brought up a good point you the theory around all of us Mm -hmm. are due to the racial traumas and racism that we experience in this country you said it's a theory around you think that we're all neurodiverse in some fashion and that was one of the questions that popped up to me because I know trauma and those negative experiences like that can aid aid into neurodiverse because you think in a different way because of mm-hmm. your experiences and for us as black folks due to our creativities due to the way we you know deal with certain situations how we see situations how we persevere how we attack problems right what what, what span upon that theory around that because i feel like you know there's some variations of that and maybe neurodiversity is something deeper for us as black people like how we separate bipoc from just as black and then as people of color right you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying is it something around that you think because i feel like we see the world differently you know than everybody i, I else.
1: definitely do I, you know, I don't have a whole, these are just like opinions of mine at this yeah. point in time. But like, I, I I feel like the idea of neurodiversity is, um, let me back up, right? So just because someone coined something and... Uh, comes up with it doesn't mean it hasn't always existed social science is hard for lay folks to grasp because it's not like biology where you're like these are the cells blah blah blah." social science is pointing out the things that we've always been doing but we don't really understand and we don't have a name for it right so this has always been the case so i feel like black folks uh have used neurodiversity as um unintentionally just it's it's a survival mechanism this is how we survive right i was saying it earlier no we didn't we didn't have our culture like Right. enslaved Africans came over here and we had everything ripped, stripped from us, language, everything. And, but mm-hmm. we still, we still not just survive. We thrive. We figured out ways yeah. that, that comes from leveraging other strengths. Right. And mm-hmm. I think those strengths were neurodivergent strengths. If someone's going through an extreme trauma on that level, your executive functioning is not at, 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 at its true form, right? None of your strengths are at their true form. You have to start relying on other areas that you might not rely on and I I think that's where a lot of the, neurodiverg- the neurodivergence that we see in black folks comes up. And I don't think, like, every black person is neurodivergent. I think we have a much higher percentage, percentage because of that, right? And we know that people laughed at black folks when they said that decades ago, but now science supports it. There's, there's um uh, a lot of research that shows, like, that uh, significant traumatic experiences are passed down genetically, right? Yes, yeah. And but people laughed at Dr. Joyce DeGruy when she talked about post traumatic slave syndrome. Oh man, it's just black people complaining, blah blah blah, yeah, exactly, wanting more. Exactly. But now science supports that, right? Now right. we know weathering also supports that because our telomeres get weathered down from all this racist trauma that we go through and stuff, right? And so, I I think that that's where nerd diversity really comes from when it comes from black. But you, well, let me back up. We're all people, right? And so whatever yeah. we see in black people can be present in anyone else, but they just haven't been through the same circumstances, right? Exactly. And I think that gets lost too. But so when I say I think people forget that, like when we say all oh, black people, black people, we're not saying that like we're biologically different because we're not, right? right. But right. we are socially different from a from a constructed reality that wasn't ours that we had to figure out how to thrive in. And, um, you know, make some people uncomfortable and you want to take that
2: back.
0: <laughs> exactly. And I think that the response to it, because you talk about like, you know, working with, I work with black men in therapy or, and get asked the question of how you engage with black men in therapy. And I talk about like, you know, well, I speak the language, right? I speak the language. And I also, you know, from a, not just from a look standpoint, but from a conversation standpoint. And I'm talking about not even just conversation face to face, but when they go to my website, when they go mm-hmm. read my books, right? I talk from that language, right? And, and and that grabs the attention. So when you talk about marketing or talking about just like with somebody that's that's non black that working with that individual, if you're not speaking that language and also there's some bias and some judgment, then how trauma informed or how you know aware are you of these things? And as you were talking, I was thinking about because we talking about Alan Iverson, right? Mm-hmm. And if you know the practice speech. The practice speech, everybody gets, and now it's funny, they made a commercial about it with Kevin Hart and Steph Curry right. and stuff like that. I, was, I thought that was dope. But if you know the, the history behind that, his homeboy got killed, right? Right. So that trauma was projected to this reporter in that area, right? That asked that question about practice, and AI wasn't thinking about practice, right? right? But that clip has for years now, and it's still some people that don't even know the, the history behind that has been right. this this calling card for AI, the thug, or AI, the aggressive black man or whatever in sports. And it's like, this is how he has known to, known or not known, how to express his emotions or feelings and what he is going through. And for some reason, we have taken upon ourselves to just judge him and not ask what was going on or what's the reason. How do I approach him? How do I help him, help better him? How do I point to his strengths or how do I help with what's going on versus just saying, oh, well, AI just don't want to practice no more. He don't want to do this. He don't want to do that. No, he lost a loved one. And so I think that piece right there is understanding how socially you said black people, especially black men and boys, how they interact with the world and how sometimes they've removed themselves to not interact with the world because of fear, survival, you know, fight or flight or freeze, And if you're not really understanding that or you're not taking the time to really look at that when you're working with them, whether it's in your corporate setting or whether it's in your healthcare setting, then you are not doing the service. You're doing a disservice to that client or that person in treatment or whatever it might be, or as an employer. That's, you know, I just think about that, that situation, you know, a lot of people don't really even understand why he said what he said. You know
1: brother, I'm so glad that you said that, man. I mean, it's yes, yes, like i i I want people to rewind that, listen to that, write it down, soak mm-hmm. it in, because our needs, our psychological safety is ignored. Right. People don't want to listen to our psychological safety. The, the, after Trump was elected, there was this group that uh, I used to go to with some of my homeboys. It was called Racial Harmony in Christ. There were some good things that happened yeah. from that group, but uh, you know, if I'm being real, a lot of it was just like a white guilt group. People, white people, who voted for Trump wanted to feel like that they weren't bad people. There were some good people in that group. There's some people right. I became friends with that I'll always be friends with. I want to you know, act like yeah. everyone was bad. It was, it was, it was cool. It was overall, it was a very good experience, mm-hmm. but like one of the things, um, one of the things that I would say in it was you saw, and we have seen this in recent news, right? You see some white veteran, you know, if he's at a Starbucks and he's flipping out, but he has his, you know, his, his uniform on, be like, Oh, Hey, Hey, everyone, he's, he's a veteran. You know, he's been through some stuff. Hey, it's right. okay. Right. But if you see a black man, it always well, anyone who's black, but we'll say especially a black man, because being, we instill a different level of fear than yeah, yeah, yeah. other black people do right, right? especially yeah. when we're large right and i'm not you know i'm a lighter skinned black man but i'm not i'm not small man <laughs> so Damn, i sorry, you know I I, I I like looking a little intimidating sometimes so um
0: <laughs> I've, I've leaned into it at this point bro I've you know
1: into i feel it. like it's our right we have to keep that right too because mm-hmm. uh, you know okay you want to put me in this box sure i got all these degrees i got all this but guess what hey try me
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I've leaned.
0: I've I, 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 not to pause you right there, but I've leaned into that because I've always there's always this intimidation factor. There's always I fit the stereotype, you know, things like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know what? It is what it is. I'm gonna be me. I can't. God gave me height. He gave me these broad shoulders. It is what it is. I got a head long hair. You're not. I'm. If you come talk to me, it's a whole different conversation. But I might have right. a face on where I don't feel like I'm gonna be bothered either and that's cool yeah. too. You know. So, I'm sorry, it's
1: 100 percent it cool so <laughs> um so you you know you have a brother that same brother at the starbucks who's just been through what ai went through with some racist stuff and he flips out oh we gotta we, we gotta get him out of here i right. mean we know that they'll get him out of there for even less right just right. having a coffee quietly just
2: coffee. <laughs> yeah.
1: right but that, but that's real man our psychological safety does not get centered it does not get privileged it's not I love, that's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love hip hop, man. I love hip hop because it's just, it's a giant middle finger to all of that. (laughs) I feel feel it.
0: Exactly. And I think that's the piece of it that looking at that, so then you have to, when you start talking about being aware or being open and and trying to engage with that DEI side and trying to be more equitable, because every time you were talking about it, I just heard equity, equity, equity. Shout out to my Mm -hmm. homeboy, Dr. Bell. Um, Equity Matters coined that, you know, his podcast, but it it sounds like the equity piece of it. And I feel like until we really have a soft chance to be heard in that capacity, right, then we're not going to make the progress that we need to make. And you're Mm -hmm. not going to be able to serve those individuals who need that because you're unwilling or whoever is unwilling to engage with them in a holistic way that the, that, that analyzing that says, this is how we see the world and we're not, and you try to make us conform to something that is the, the normal world or whatever, then it makes us uncomfortable and then we lose ourselves in that. And then mm-hmm. that's a, that's another separate issue, you know? So, um, I think that's, that's very important, man. That's very important on that because if, if not, then what are we doing? You know, I'm about to
1: be proud of myself here. Cause I remembered something. I'm gonna tie this back. <laughs> what you just said the hospital story I worked at UNC in the kitchen at UNC hospitals Mm -hmm. for a while Mm -hmm. okay and I worked there because a bunch of my homeboys some, some black men that I was friends with and I also let me say this like I'm a very eclectic person. I did martial arts. I played soccer. Yeah. Uh, When I came to, um, my martial arts school was dope. I got I got to give a moment to say something about that. It was in pre-gentrified Silver Spring, Maryland. It was a black martial arts school. Everyone was black, or they were Puerto Rican, or they were Jewish. Okay, our sifu was black it with my pops was in there with me. Uh I had there's there's a, a a homeboy from there who left that school and went to buds and became a Navy SEAL and he attributed everything that we learned in that school. We had a nice. dude who came in there who thought he was bad. He just came out of boot camp from Paris Island from the Marines. He came up Man, he got thrown literally thrown through a drywall wall, like thrown through a wall by the smallest dude in our whole thing. He packed up and it was real, man. That's one of the reasons why I'm a a real dude now. We had a 400 pound punching bag, man. You know how to if you know how to rock a 400 pound punching bag you, you, you a, a lot of fear starts going away yeah.
2: right you know what i'm saying
1: so anyway i i did a lot of things man so like when i came to uh, north carolina um I, I do think it's also important for me to say that my pops made sure i did that so my pops made sure right. his boys were confident right. that was one of his number one concerns i got to have confident boys who know how to defend themselves and know how to use their brain i, I always love my pops for that right so when we came to uh, north, Car- north carolina um, You know, I originally grew up in Maryland, man. Everybody played lacrosse. Maryland. So mm-hmm. I played football and I played lacrosse. And it was very interesting dichotomies between those yeah. two seasons. You know, football season, I'm hanging out with my homeboys. Right. And then uh, lacrosse season, I'm hanging out with my other homeboys. Right. right. <laughs> um, And I'm this weird, like, blend of the two because I lived in this, like, like upper middle class neighborhood. I mean, like one of the only, I was one of three non-black families that was in there. The, the There was another the principal of my school who was a black woman lived there, and this other uh homeboy of mine, um, his dad who was Puerto Rican, his wife, uh his his my homeboy's mom was black, they lived there too. Right. But um but so I'm thinking about a bunch of different things. I went to school with one of the Keenans, like Kenan Flagler Keenan, like Keenan Stadium Keenan, like and I, I thought we had okay money you right. go to a person's house like that they have a seven car garage and you're like yeah. oh we i'm i am poor <laughs> and, yeah. and can but now i'm getting into a bunch of different things what was wild in the high school was like me my family and like a few other black families were like the rich the rich black families We, it's just like yeah. upper middle class man you know yeah. at that point in time we i mean i lived in an apartment at one point too i see my parents come up right. but um then you meet white people who got like generational wealth, like to the point where, you know, they could spend a million dollars in a month and be good. You know, like it's it's a different perspective. Anyway. OK, so I got this job at the hospital with my homeboys, my football team. We wild, man. We just over there wilding. OK. <laughs> right. And. um I took that job because I didn't have to cut my hair because my dad was my dad's old school. He was like, you can't you can't have your hair like that. Like I I had my hair like this one other time in my life for a few months in high school. So I had this job and then this white woman who was like our supervisor took me aside. and She was like, well, I'm not you know, you want to raise. but I'm not going to give you this raise. And I think that you just get over on people because you're a good looking black boy. Right. I wowed ow man. Of course, my homeboys—they always thought it was funny when I wowed. I was saying, like, "Look, he's supposed to be the good one." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right?
0: I get that same sentiment, right? I get this same like, sentiment, right,
1: right. If you ever read uh Trevor Noah's book, "A uh, Born a Crime," and he really talks about, you know, in, in South Africa, he's not black; he's colored, right? His right. dad's a white Swiss dude. His mom was a black African, mm-hmm. but like, he didn't want to hang out with the white people in the color. But he wanted to hang out with. The darker skinned black people with the lower, you know, socioeconomic status because it was just you could just be yourself, man. Yeah. You could just be yourself. That's how I felt too, man. My, my my best experiences was always with my homeboys who grew up a lot worse than me. I they they checked me all the time, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. And it, and it was cool, man. I still love them for that. So I, I you know stuff would happen. I I wowed out. I got fired, man. I got fired. Well, I, honestly, I probably got. It was a combination of me getting fired and me walking out too, yeah. right? But this was a theme oh. for me in jobs in high school, right? I worked at Harris Teeter for three days when I was in high school, right? And so, like, it's uh-huh. so like, what, what you know, you gotta, you gotta do the carts, right? Right. First of all, I was already mad because I wasn't able to be a cashier, and I had already been a cashier at Jersey Mike's. And I was like, you just don't want me to be a cashier because I'm black, man, um, and. So I already had that edge to me, right? Right. right. And the neurodivergent stuff is going on. There's this thing called rejection sensitivity. So when you experience like rejection or things that are um, negative, you just get really upset about it. But there's also something called racial rejection sensitivity. So in my opinion, this is what part of my research is looking at. If you're experiencing, if you're black and neurodivergent, you're experiencing both of these things. So they get heightened. And that Mm. kind of explains a large part of my life. So. Wow. Okay. They told me to go do the carts. I did the carts. And it was rare to have to do the carts twice in one shift.
2: Yeah. They had my
1: name down 3 times. And I looked at it. I was like, "Why is my name down here 3 times?" Uh-huh. Well, you know, uh Johnny over here, uh he's, you know, he he he's got uh down syndrome. So you don't you don't want to help Johnny out. Hey man, don't try to play me like that. My name is on there 3 times. Wow. Some people's name is on there once. Why can't you put then don't try to act like I don't want to help Johnny out. Don't don't yeah. don't don't play with me like. Well, oh, Wesley, you're getting kind of loud. You know what? F this job.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, you said almost self fulfilling prophecy. You said it. Right. Do it. I'm gonna wow. Right. This is this, man. This happened to me quite a bit. <laughs> you know what's quite funny bit, to me? Man. Like the the stories are like me and your stories. We never met before, but some of our stories are so similar, right? Because worked in a hospital you know, have these different things. i tell you, the one situation I really ran into racism for the first time was like probably when I was, of course, driving my Honda Accord and got pulled over racial profiling um, for having a nice car. I have my, my, I tell the story every time I had my Honda Accord, um, had rims on it, had lights on it system. Of
1: course you did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it it got searched before I got searched by narcotics thinking that I had something in there. Searched it illegally. They couldn't search it, but they, you know, as a (laughs) teenager driving, you, you gotta search it. I got braids, light skin, whatever. I looked the part, but I told them all you could find is, is some wires in there. But the first, so that's what that started a string of events, right? To the point where as now, like I still have the heightened sensitivity around it, um, and I have a situation where like I was driving a Honda Civic from grad school and had six narcotics around me. But it's another story. The first one was when I was working at Kings Dominion. Mm-hmm. I had braids and they told me and it was probably my shoulder at this point. And they was like, well, you need to cut your hair. Your hair is too long. At, and I was, at, a, at an amusement park. At an amusement,
1: amusement we supposed to be having fun over here?
0: <laughs> so I'm making $7.50 an hour, maybe, working with me and my cousin. And they're like, you know, you got to cut your hair. And I was like, well, what if I don't want to cut it? They was like, oh, well, you know, we have to, you know, let you go. And it was so stark because I had been there for about a couple months or almost a year. And to say, okay, well, we can't keep you here because of your hair. And I saw somebody else whose hair was longer than mine. They didn't say anything to him. And it was a black girl and it was a white girl. And they came to me. And I said, yo, what? If I cut my hair, it's going to come back even quicker. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I told a black girl, you know that. You're black, right? You know what I'm saying? And she just, you know, acquiesced to what the white girl was saying. And she was in on it. And I was just like. Yo, what? now I'm done with that. And so I ended up, I got fired. But like you said, I got fired, but I walked off. They right. made me leave the park. And I had to sit in my cousin's car for his entire shift because it was at the beginning of my shift and wait for him. They made me leave the park. So I had to sit in my car for the whole time. Man, I'm talking about it almost went to fire. This is my point in time. My, my my grandma was about to get active because she was in WACP. My mom mm-hmm. was pissed, you know, everybody. And it was my first time really experiencing that from a, from a microaggression, you know, standpoint, like my hair is too long to work a 750, 750 an hour job. I know that's crazy to hear that, you know, but that's what it was back then. You know what I'm saying? And so I just, I, you know, that kind of shaped my outlook and my hair outlook, you know, going Mm -hmm. forward and then being who I am as a person, you know, and then those times where I am quiet, I'm calm, I'm shy, I'm reserved. But if you try me, it's this other side. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because of that, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that's that's, that's you go through
1: these things. You go through these things over year after year, month after month, mm-hmm. year after year after year. And eventually, man, you snap, man. Like yeah. I, I just like it, And it doesn't just happen when we're youth, man. It's happened in my that's one of the number one reasons why I left corporate, man. I, I can't tell you how many times I was about to throw hands. It's <laughs> like I it was just. <laughs> so So, angry man i was like why are you treating me like this and y'all ain't smart enough to even be treating me like this in the first place man and so and then you get in these other experiences and you haven't you are like you know what man nah nah i'm good man Mm -hmm. i'm good i'm good like you it just it's just like insult after insult after insult man and so like you look at there was a study I think like 2017 2015 something like that um forgot his name man prolific black researcher he's around now he does a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. but it was like looking at like you know the wage gap for black folks specifically right. and it was i might be getting some of the details mixed up but it was looking at um uh like our like black folks with advanced degrees so you and me black mm-hmm. folks with advanced not just master's degree masters and up,
2: right
1: had the same i don't remember if it was like um earning or wealth. I don't remember. I might be getting it confused. I feel like it was earning, but it was, Uh had this, we're earning the same amount as white people with a GED. Like like actually white people with a GED were earning like on average, like $2,000 more a year than black people with an advanced degree. When we got 40 years old in the data set, it showed that we caught up to our peers with the same level of education. And so my whole thing is like, I turned 40 this past December. So where's my money? (laughs) where is my money i keep i I, i've had jobs i've never been promoted in my life i have never had a bad performance well that's not true in my corporate career there were three jobs where i had some bad performance reviews but they were racist type stuff man in my opinion and so but like look at the the two jobs where i had the most success i never had a bad performance review they were flawless
2: Mm.
1: can i get it can i get a new title Mm. no well why no reasons can I get a salary increase? Well, okay. I know that state legislature tripping and all that. Okay. I get it. Let me get a title change, man. Five years did all this stuff. Right. And it's mm-hmm. just like, no, well, 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 why, Wes, why do you want a title anyway? What does a title really mean? You're going to say that to me when you have the title I would yeah, want. Okay. All right. Yeah. So when I go out into the job market and I'm applying for jobs, one, my background, I have all these different experiences, right? So it's hard for people who aren't ADHD or like us to really fi- look at that and be analytical and figure that out. Like, well, right. well, what does he really want to do? I'm good at a lot of different things, so I try to do a lot of different things. It doesn't mean that I, I'm, I'm inconsistent. Same. I'm good at a lot of different things, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they'll see, like, man, well, okay, he was at this one job for five years and did all this stuff, but he never got promoted. Like, well, okay, well, what's wrong with him? Because when That's we're black, it's, a, it's an old Chris Rock joke. When you're white, the sky's the limit when they're black <laughs> the limits the sky right and so yeah, 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 they're yeah. gonna look at it as like well clearly i mean there's something wrong with them right and i man that made me so angry man i was like you know what i don't want these jobs i can do my own thing why do i even want this why do i even want this you know what nah mm. and it, it, you know and a double double down on it i'm backing out even farther man like i'm just yeah. just gonna be my radical self but it, it pushes you it pushes you like i oh. became this person and i'm glad i became this person because i can see things i didn't see Mm -hmm. but if everything went the way that i wanted it to like you know when i was in my 20s and 30s i would have just been complacent who Mm -hmm. knows i might have been like tim scott out here who knows man you know (laughs) glad i'm not
0: you know dang that that really confirms something for me today because i was thinking about you saying you never got any promotion i never got a promotion at any of my jobs um never maybe a training on something, but, oh we might can put you up to this. And, and there was the, the conversation around, I haven't really stayed at no job longer than the hospital job. I stayed there for about on and off, maybe five, six. Right. Mm-hmm. But there was never no talk about something else. Right. They, and it kind of was like, okay, well, it's coming to an end. You got your bachelor's degree. You're going to move on anyway. Um, There was talks. I'm looking at the post-grad undergrad job inpatient, there was a conversation, but then about leading, maybe, maybe like being a lead, but never materialized. I ended up going to grad school. They was bringing in people with no degrees, paying them mm-hmm. more. That was a big issue. And then I get to the post grad, post graduate, and did that. was probably three and a half years. No really promotion. I did apply for other positions that in within that was you know. Um, in the department didn't get it over somebody else. And they kept rising up, ended up being my supervisor, actually Um, no ill will to her, but just like seeing those dynamics, I did apply for another position that I could have gotten if I wanted it, but I didn't want it. I I just, you know, I wanted to laterally move. Mm -hmm. And then the last job, there was no, no conversation about, Whereas the next thing, upper mobility, it was like more responsibility, more liability, and that was the driving force to go into private practice. Yeah, and just say I'm gonna just do my own thing and figure it out. But because of these situations, right? Because of these places where I've never known what a promotion looks like or felt like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: this drive me to be, you know, this 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 entrepreneur that I always wanted to be. But at the same time, what if I did have those promotions? and what i even had to drive to do the work that i do today that that was that's that's that's
1: it's a weird double-edged sword man yeah. i mean it's 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 back hmm. to the complexities that black people deal with since birth mm-hmm. you know we like you know I, i'm sure like me you know you was in elementary school it's black history month they are gonna wheel out the tv and show yeah. some really depressing video and talk yeah. about mlk and you just sitting there like okay you know um if I could go back in time I would end slavery but that also I would I would eradicate for even happening but that also means I wouldn't exist but I would take that because it's hard but the, there's so much crap right I'm not going to yeah. say life, it's hard but I love I love life but um right but like th- th- that it just it weighs that just weighs on you right and so you think about being neurodivergent in addition to that you got this rejection sensitivity and we black men so there's racial rejection sensitivity and you know, there was a few different jobs where I've experienced this at, but like um, you know, one of my more recent ones, and I'm kinda of be a little bit more vague intentionally here, but like one of my more recent ones I had in the past, I really made a very intentional effort to do everything right. Mm-hmm. Right. Did all the things I was supposed to do, developed all these programs, went above and beyond, brought national recognition to the office. Why 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 what what else do I have to do? I did. Yeah. Everything. What else do I? And man, it just broke me, man. It honestly, it broke me. But it broke. Sometimes we need to be broken. Like if you're a a subscriber to the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, Mm -hmm. which is like the model for like every story. Basically, it's, you know, you start here and then something happens and you cross into this world of the unknown and you fight a great battle. You probably lose and you find a mentor and you lose. You learn all these things and you become stronger and then you re-enter that world you were once in. This new person, I just reentered this world, this new world as this new person with these strengths that I had, but didn't realize. And like, mm-hmm. so that's my hero's journey. But if I, and if I didn't have that pain, I wouldn't have been in this situation. Right. But I also, I don't even like saying that because I feel like it lets people off the damn hook.
0: Exactly. Man, like, it's, right? it's like, it validates like, okay, why do I have to go through this pain in order to get to this other side? Knowing that my white counterparts, it's just like, they walk into it. With just ease, it's right. just like one, two. James Harden step, boom. Here I am. You know what I'm saying? Um, right, so, right, right. Yeah, that's the answer. But you know what? But it, you know, I think like that really. That you're defining that and kind of, you know, speaking on that kind of helped me right now with where I'm at, my business structure, and what's next, and kind of figuring it out. And like I'm mm-hmm. just I, I gonna figure. I'm just gonna go back to work or do something else. And it's just like, well, you know, you. Right. And there's right. also a reason why maybe some of these jobs and positions don't look appealing. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what's what's at store and and, you know, your trajectory. Right. And you know, your worth because you've done some self-employment, you've done some work in the last you know couple of years that you can speak to say, well, I know I can do this. But it's like, well, all those options, what's the best option? You know, right.
1: Um, I want I want to say this for you and for anyone else who listens to this. So as black folks. Um, whether we grow up in a black community or not, we have family that's in a black community and we'll see a lot of folks in that community who find ways to, you know, uh, earn a living, whether it's, you know, illegal or legal, right. They find ways to earn a living, to support themselves, where they can maintain some pride, where they can maintain some autonomy. Right. Mm-hmm. And we know this, but we don't really think it. we were like, okay, that's just like, you know, some people trying to survive. Let me go out here and get a good job, blah, 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 blah. But what I want people to know is man, you go out here and you get some education, you get some 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 experience, some some uh, I don't want to, like, put credentials on a platform because right. some of the smartest brothers I know don't have a formal education or locked up. Mm-hmm. OK, but, you know, you get out here and you get something behind your name. There's a whole community of black folks who are educated and got some money and got some sense who aren't doing the, the nine to five job. And that's no slight. My my wife works a nine to five job. Okay. I'm not slighting that. I don't right. want people to think that either. Cause even when you're working for yourself, you're still working for someone. You're working for your clients. You're working for, you know, your other clients as you Whatever, that, you're always working for someone. Okay. So I don't like, I know people get hyper, um, LLC, Twitter and all this.
2: <laughs> hey, you gotta, yeah, 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 you're yeah, always yeah.
1: working for someone. Okay. It's just about how much autonomy and control that you have. Right. right. But, um, when you, when we're, um, this is me trying to recapture these thoughts. I was I was like on I was on it. And then it was uh Talk
0: about like uh, just like business and kind of navigating that space, entrepreneurship, if you want right. increase.
1: There is a whole community, a whole industry, if you want to call it that, of black educated folks who are in philanthropy, who are in consulting, who are in nonprofits, who are in business, who Focus on black people. They have taken the white gaze out of their work. It doesn't mean that they don't love and have white people to even work for them or with them. Right. right. But we are working for the issues that we do. Right. When I was at um, when I, I was talking about the Students Moving Forward program and some other stuff I developed, it was at a PWI. Right. Where I actually went to undergrad. Right. And where I'm getting my PhD from. And so when I did that, the overwhelming majority of the students in that program were white. So here I and I and I and I put my all into that. I helped these mostly white boys, these white male students who are autistic, um, get some uh, better community, get some better job opportunities, and right. and and proceed. I had one student who consistently came out. I had a few others, but one who consistently came out who was black. He just graduated with a PhD mm-hmm. in nuclear engineering. Second black person ever from the university to graduate wow. with a, a PhD in nuclear engineering. And it was hard for him just as you would imagine. He's neurodivergent, he's black, right? But you know, I did all of that for really, really like let's 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 keep it a buck for white kids. I did all that for white kids. And I'm like, "Hey, I'm all about helping everybody." Okay? Right, right. But the second I want to start talking about black issues within neurodivergence, oh, why are you being divisive? Uh the, you know what?
0: Why does it got to be about race?
1: You know what? I'm going to be more divisive, bye <laughs> Right. That's how I feel, man. Yeah. I'm like y'all, yeah. y'all they they push and push and push and push you away to where you have to make your own decisions about things, man. And um I sound really angry right now cuz I am. Mm-hmm. That's the black experience. So what? Okay, I'm a therapist. I I've I've worked through that anger. That anger doesn't um The anger is not the center of my life. You know, it doesn't, I'm not making decisions out of anger, but I have very valid reasons to be angry about it. It'd be weird if I wasn't angry about it, man. You know?
0: It doesn't materialize enough. It just is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's not. Even
1: black Buddhists embrace black rage. There's a really dope book called Black and Buddhist, and it's the, the black rage is very accepted even within Zen Buddhist culture. Okay. So, like, we need to embrace our black rage. We can't stop running from this. This is real, it's valid, it's just. It doesn't mean that we got to be out here wilding, but look, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cower back, um, because someone else is uncomfortable. You know, I'm not yeah. gonna, um, change, uh, my patterns of uh, how I manage myself because it's not what someone else likes, right? It's not socially uh, acceptable. Yeah, I love Ryan Coogler, man. He does not code switch at mm-hmm. all, mm-hmm. and I, I love it. I want to see more of that, man. I want to see more of it because it's just a different dialect people want to act like oh black people talking like this every language has multiple dialects yeah you go in different parts of the country in the u.s and people sound different when they talk english you go to the uk and people sound different when they talk english those are different dialects of english Geechee is a dialect of english but we treat it as though oh it's just this bastardization of the english language to these black people but it's a different dialect man just That's respect it. us. Just, it's that simple. Exactly. It's that simple. Just, can we, can we put a little respect on, yeah. on it, man?
0: That, you know, what's this crazy about that is that, you know, from the cold situation standpoint, even like just being in the classroom setting, in the client setting with my, you know, my, my clients and just being able to speak that way and, and still get across clinical, you know, nomenclature, get across the educational pieces of that book that we're teaching in class and doing both of it. And, um, it, I think that's just super liberating, you know what I'm saying? For that, you know, as well. Um, because so much, man, we've been taught to talk this way and, and do that. I know sometimes my friends joke, but I use big words, but I'm like, you know, <laughs> I can say that. And then I'll come back and, you know, say, yo, what's good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Just doing that too. So it's just, and I did that on a national stage, not a national stage, but like at, um, mental health America's conference last year, mm-hmm. um, presenting like being the uh the, the black man being the heel to heal and be the healer and one of the black guys in the audience he was like man look he was like i don't know how much you know but like the fact that you were able to sit up here in this presentation with all these people in here the diverse people in here and not code switch and still tell this story around that is huge for me and i was just like would you hear anything rest of the rest of the whole conversation of the presentation but you know for me i <laughs> sat back and thought about it, i was like you know what that's probably the first time you ever seen somebody with professional credentials mm-hmm. in this setting with these diverse communities and not having to um code switch and still sounds like him if it was one of his homeboys in the chat and that's liberating you know what i'm saying it's i was like that's liberated. that piece right there is going to help his mental space you know what i'm saying not mostly what we talking about in the actual presentation so i definitely you know agree to that I want want
1: to say something about that point you made on the neurodivergent point too, because I've gotten this at different points in my life, right? Third generation college student, grandmother was an English teacher. Dad has written a best-selling book, all this sorts of stuff. My mom is a teacher who was also a college student as well, college graduate as well. So it's like, well, why are you you talking like that in certain ways, man? You're just trying to be performing. You're just trying to like blend in, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. That's not how you were raised. Well, you know what, it, Here's so if you look at any of these little YouTube videos I've been doing, which are kind of, I, I don't edit them or anything. It's a part of me getting over my perfectionism, which is yeah. another issue of neurodivergence. Um, and also the combination of neurodivergence plus white gaze, it makes that perfectionism so damn strong, man. Mm. And so I um got to remember what I was saying. <laughs> so I went, about, went, started thinking about perfectionism.
0: Channel, perfectionism and then just like. I was talking about the code switching and not code switching.
1: Ah, 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 ah okay. Um, you at that thing, right? So if you look at, like there was some LinkedIn posts I made where I also put one of the videos, right? One of the little walking mm-hmm. videos I had. And if you read like, what I've written, it, it's, it reads very different from how I speak. That's an right. ADHD thing, right? I can mm-hmm. articulate myself. Um, to a masterful degree in my writings, why I've been able to excel in grad school. I, look, it also, I barely graduated from undergrad. It wasn't a sign of intelligence. It was because I was an assistant. that wasn't designed for me. I had a 2.26 in undergrad, right? And I'm getting yeah, I'm the PhD from that. the same undergrad that I barely, the same institution I barely graduated in. So I yeah. want people, especially black people, especially black boys, because we have some other issues when it comes to school. Just because you have bad grades doesn't mean you can't do more. Okay. Yeah. I had bad grades and I was able to come back and do it. Like it's okay, man. Your experience and your intelligence means something. So my like one of these ADHD things is like uh, being able to recall certain words and pull them out. Your your brain moves way faster than anything else when you're ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh there's this white dude, really good um, ADHD advocate, I forget his name, I think it's like Howell or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he came up with this little phrase it was Ferrari brain bicycle brakes. My ADHD brain is like a Ferrari. And I think even for a neurotypical black person, that experience makes your brain just go a little bit faster because you have to be hypervigilant about things, which for also being real hypervigilance is anxiety. Okay. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. It's necessary for survival, but it's anxiety. And I realized I had a lot more of that than I thought. So when, when I talk Hip hop and that language was so much easier for me because it's hard for me to get my words out. Clearly, a lot of folks who are ADHD slur words sometimes um, because our brain is moving so much faster than our mouth. I can speak much more naturally in that type of dialect than I can trying to speak in some other way. that's just not natural for me. Yeah. Uh, But people would try to act like that I wasn't being off All Are you raising the upper middle class home? Why do you talk like that? Well, that's that's ADHD, man. That's because it's easier for me. It's more direct. And I can get to the point a lot quicker and faster. And so it's important for people to see all those sides because black folks have been everything in this country. The most intellectual, scientific people who have invented things, who have developed new theories, who have help people in a multitude of ways and the most creative and expressive people at the same time, right? Mm-hmm, and so
2: mm-hmm.
1: from great struggle, from great pain comes a lot of greatness. But you know what? Sometimes I just want to be mediocre, man. So why don't y'all just right. give me my reparations so I can just you <laughs> my reparations,
0: give my reparations. Give my, give my money real quick so I can go right. and chill. But you know what? And I'm going to get ready to close out because we are we coming up on two hours now. I knew Oh, we've I been talking for a minute. That's why yeah. I asked. At the initial, I said, how much time you got? Cause I know where it can go. Um, all that I'm listening to you, I'm hearing all of this and I'm saying that all you're saying and what you're talking about. I, and, and to me, it just really, really, um, resonated with me to understand that don't put us in a box, right? Don't put us in a box of professionalism, creativity, um, a certain way to read certain way to act certain way to behave don't put us in a box because you don't know what or how we're processing it unless you actually sit and listen and ask um you don't know what that experience may have happened to us and how that makes us feel because every experience looks different for everybody else and these things look different per each black person you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying um Black boys, black men, but girls, non binary, LGBTQIA, it looks different. And so if you're not taking the time to uh, understand that and just try to box people in, then yes, it's not going to work. That's that as you've kind of curtailed that and brought it out, I just thought about that because that's just what it sounds like. And to me, it resonates with me because I've always lived by that. Don't box me in. Don't box me in. Don't try to make me somebody that I'm not. This is who I am. And I was going to say too earlier back on the black anger side. Once I learn to just embrace the anger and not see it as this negative connotation, where it's like, I have to not be angry. I have to not be angry. I have to not be angry um, and address where it came from, but also be comfortable in my anger. A lot of weight left it off my shoulder. Yes, I will go that far. And Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian and I, you know, everything, whatever. And I believe what I believe I'm I'm in leadership in my, my church, everything. But that, I'm not afraid of anger. I know right. what it is. I know what it feels like. And if something rubs me the wrong way, or it disrespects me, or disrespect my blackness, my family, I, X, Y, and Z, or if it's social justice issue that I'm, I'm gonna stand up for it. Forward. And this mm-hmm. is what you want to get. You're not going to get a passive, calm tray, in any right. situation. And so, um, once I learned that, and I had to go through some of the negative experiences to deal with that, man, a lot of liberation was from that. But, um. But Wes, man, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate well, you so much,
1: man. I love this. I, lo- I love the work that you do, man. I, I love seeing us out here. I really like talking to you, but This was good. I hope we get to do this some more. Yeah. I get my podcast up and running. You definitely going to be on there a few times, man. I enjoy yeah. connecting with you and talking. And-, and by the way, the anger piece, Jesus, a brown, black man, whoever you want to say, definitely won't white. Uh, but the brother got so mad, he flipped tables and was Flip whipping tables. people. So, That's um, you know, yeah. righteous anger is validated uh i i am also blessed and highly favored i understand Yeah, <laughs> <Right? exactly. laughs> uh,
2: uh,
1: i'm not like evangelical at this point anymore in my life and i never really was but still man that's my faith that's the faith i grew up in i respect right. that and it's 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 helped me in so many ways and you know what man if you if you only talking about peace all the time you don't recognize that the prince of peace also you know he had a mean right hook <laughs> right.
0: right exactly exactly so i, I just think it's it's so it's so much to us. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking to this. You confirmed some things for me. You affirmed some things for me that I didn't even know was going to happen today. But um, yeah, man, appreciate all the work that you're doing. Everything you got out there, your YouTube channel, um, all that you got going on from your consulting business, your private practice as well. Let people know where they can find you at um social media links and then also your YouTube page, things like that. Let people know where they can find you.
1: Right. Oh, appreciate that, man. You can find me on Twitter at Wes underscore Wade. You can find me at on LinkedIn. I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn at Wesley Wade. You'll see my mug up there. Uh, And you can also check out my uh, personal branding website. It's WesleyJacksonWade.com. And I throw a lot of stuff up there. The YouTube channel that I just started like two weeks ago, been throwing some videos out. Peace, love power which was the name of a podcast i started right before the pandemic and then pandemic baby all this stuff uh put a axe to that but it's coming back but you can go to youtube peace love Power is the name of the page and you can see my posts under there
0: that's what's up man yeah man wes i appreciate that man definitely appreciate you coming on make sure you like share subscribe to the podcast let me know what you think about the episode um we're on Apple apple podcast spotify um all your digital streaming platforms check it out let us know what you think um leave a review and if i'm not on your dsp on that side please let me know i'm going to get on there as well man but um this is the end of the g show shout out to our guest west Wade, man for coming on having this very in-depth conversation i hope that you learn something from it gain something from it and if you need us to come out to consult tap in with us pay <laughs> hey, black, hey, black man take care y'all have a great week all right